1: And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Frater. Today we're catching up with my good buddy, Neil Johnson. Neil has worked in radio for many years as an announcer, a station manager. He's also uh, been doing a lot of pastoral work. And he's done an incredible trip recently to the Middle East, a secret squirrel trip. We couldn't talk about it while he was over there. But now that he's back, it's good to have him on the radio to hear all about his trip to the Middle East. Welcome to the show, mate. How you doing? I'm well, thank you, Matt, and thank you so much. I feel humbled by the opportunity to be
0: on History Makers.
1: <laughs> now, I've been over to Israel before and uh, got a taste of Middle Eastern life, uh, but you've been to some nations that not many Aussies would have been to and experienced. Uh, tell us about your trip and how did it all come about? Well, the trip was put together in some respects by
0: the idea that I often talk to people who are from various mission agencies that deal with the issues that persecuted Christians face in so many nations around the world. And so, uh, one of those organizations was very helpful in putting together an itinerary, a tour, and introducing me to some of the Christian leaders and creating opportunities to actually be on the ground uh, with people who've come from persecuted situations. And of course, That organization, Open Doors, just a wonderful organization. They have some fabulous work that goes on, uh, not just in the Middle East, but in so many countries throughout North Africa, West Africa, places where there is really intense persecution of Christian believers. And they do a a wonderful work. And so the opportunity to go into a a circumstance, a situation uh, where the biggest humanitarian disaster on the face of the earth right now is actually happening in the nation of Syria. Mm. Well, I was able to go to Lebanon. Lebanon is on the, uh, is a, a country that borders Syria. And it's one of the countries where refugees are flooding out of that land of Syria. Now they're going to the north in uh, Turkey. They're going to the south into Jordan. But their western border is with Lebanon. And uh, I was able to go on the Lebanese side of the border into a place called the Bekar Valley. Wow. Where at this present time, as many as 800,000 refugees are actually living in refugee uh, tent camps and whatever accommodation they can get a hold of. Uh, In the entire uh, nation of Lebanon right now, there are as many as 2 million refugees uh, who have uh, filtered into that nation. Of course, the pressure that is on uh, the nation of Lebanon right now, uh, with a a population usually of just 4 million people, there's 2 million refugees extra. You can imagine the strain that there is on all of the services in that nation, and uh, they are really under intense pressure.
1: And I know you gathered a whole bunch of different interviews while you were there, uh, recording, uh, you know, some incredible. I heard one interview you did with a guy from, was it Sat7, the TV network? Sat7
0: is an amazing organisation when we talk about media well these guys are champions of Christian media in the toughest places in the world insofar as they have a satellite television broadcast operation 24 hours a day 7 days a week Christian programming that's broadcast into the Middle East and you can imagine the things you're hearing in the media about how tough it is uh, with the uh, persecution that goes on to Christians well throughout the Middle East and it even moves into Europe and then into North Africa. Sat7 is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And as you go through various places in the Middle East, everybody has a satellite receiver dish. And so the evidence is that there are millions of secret believers who are tuning in to Christian television programming. And while they may not be able to be a part of a local church, while their lives may be at risk because of any idea of associating with Christianity, uh, there are people who have come from Muslim backgrounds who are responding to... I mean, they do things like talkback television. Uh, they do uh, all sorts of programming, even game shows from a Christian point of view. And so it is a, a whole package for young people, for older people, for uh, all sorts of different uh, styles of ministry they are impacting that uh, area of the middle east and north africa in a very very powerful way
1: you uh, were connected to this ministry uh, open doors I've, I've heard them speak recently uh, and they've said there's there's a few key things that we need to uh, do with when it comes to persecuted believers but particularly in the Middle East we need to be educated we need to be informed now i'm I'm sure uh, you've uh, now got a, a much better understanding of what's going on. We need to pray and one thing that they challenged me uh, about when I heard them speak the other day was they said don't actually pray for the persecution to end because the persecution actually helps the church grow and helps get the gospel out. Um, that really surprised me when they suggested that obviously you should pray for comfort and peace and and, uh, and blessings on those that are being persecuted, but don't necessarily pray for it to end because it's actually helping the church grow. What would you say about that? Well, there is a
0: very complex way that this all works. <laughs> Never pray for persecution to come to you no. because if it does, uh, you will find yourself in a dreadful uh, circumstance where you may have to make decisions about your life and about your family that mm. you may not ever want to make. And what happens in the Middle East, uh, where it's an intense persecution and where lives are at risk, uh, there are those who have fled that persecution in the land of Syria right now. They used to have a population of Christians around 25%. That's been reduced way down. Somebody's even suggested it's as low as 3% of the population there. So so persecution actually causes uh, Christians uh, who are under that level of suffering and strain to actually flee. So If you think of uh, persecution being a good thing, it's not necessarily a good thing if you are actually the target of it. But what happens is as a side effect of it, uh, there is a Christian response that comes. Now, that response uh, from Christian believers is usually it's, you know, how do you respond? Well, you respond the way that Jesus would. And the way that Jesus responded was in love. And so what's happened that when you talk about this complex uh, reality is that Christian leaders recognize that this is hardship, that this is trial, this is fiery tribulation. But what happens in that when you bring the response of Christ into that situation, those who have not responded yet to that message of Christ, those uh, people who have Muslim backgrounds, who have only been exposed to Islam, uh, they are all of a sudden uh, Uh, reminded of the reality of what happens in their own religion, uh, but they are also then exposed to what it is to know the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so there is an expectation in the Middle East that the church may not look the same through this fiery time of trial. And it may be that those who are Christians in the Middle East now may have been forced out of the circumstances and perhaps comfort that they might have experienced in past times. And the whole church in the Middle East may be uh, be in fact uh, uh, completely changed into a church which might be made up of Muslim background believers, people who've come to Christ. And look, the way people are coming to Christ is incredible. Responding to the love is one thing. Responding to the care that's coming from the Christians There's a whole different dimension there about tribalism that's very, very uh, significant in the Middle East. But when they are also responding to a supernatural call from God You know, you've probably heard of people having dreams and visions. Well, this does seem to be a very common thread in the way that people are coming to Christ. People actually having dreams and visions, and it's that figure dressed in white with a bright, shining face. And you say, well, is this something that as Christians we can say is a relevant thing? Well, yes, of course. And while we're talking about the land of Syria... Uh, We're reminded that Damascus is in Syria and you'll be also familiar as a Christian believer that on the Damascus road Saul of Tarsus had an incredible encounter and uh, a bright light appeared from him. And he was knocked to the ground and the voice came, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, uh, this was the conversion experience of the Apostle Paul. So is this a relevant thing that's happening in people's lives? And it does seem to be a trend, a common thread that people are coming to Christ. They are seeing visions and they are being pointed in a direction and the direction is towards Christ.
1: I just love hearing those stories. And uh, I actually had a chance to go to a detention center recently and met with a young man from Iran who was a Hindu in Iran, which is another interesting mix, you know, because a large percentage there would be Muslim. Uh, and he said he had visions of Jesus appearing to him. Over a number of nights, and he said that Jesus was saying to him, I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to show you the way. And, uh, and then when I turned up and gave him a Bible, he said, this is, this is what Jesus told me to look out for. Someone coming to me. And you know, I'm like, wow, I'm an answer to prayer here. This is incredible. Uh, but you know, this guy's had an incredible transformation in his life. Have you got a story of someone that you want to share with us? Like, I'm sure you've got a whole bunch of stories. What's one of your favorite stories, uh, from this trip that you're able to share with our listeners today?
0: Look, the story that comes to mind uh, is not one of uh, that miraculous uh, transformation, but the stories that come to mind when I hear of uh, persecuted believers in these lands, are the very, very heart-wrenching stories of people who've been caught up in all of the fighting that's been going on in the nation of Syria. One of the beautiful things that I had the opportunity to do, and very humbling it was, to be able to sit in the tents of refugees To meet these families, to see the beautiful children that they are trying to create some level of stability, even though they've had to flee their homeland, leave their possessions, leave their homes and uh, try to create life in a different and more secure place. But the stories that come to mind are heart-wrenching stories. Uh, We spoke to one young woman who had lost her father and her brother Mm. in a dreadful attack. And, uh, you know, while we're hearing all of these stories about uh, ISIS, ISIL, or the Islamic State, uh, well, in the nation of Syria, there are dozens of different groups that may not be aligned with any of those and have been involved in uh, a a dreadful internal conflict uh, with the ruling regime there for a number of years. And so uh, when it comes to uh, Islam, it's a take-no-prisoners Uh, response to any sort of conflict situation they're in. So there's such a complex uh, political uh, regime uh, that not only rules but also is uh, in in rebellion against that rulership. But I've met the most beautiful people and you cannot help but have your heart just drawn to pieces because of this. There was one young woman as she told the story that she'd lost her father and her brother Uh, Her father was one of a group of men uh, when the uh, group that was in her town uh, drew all the men together, all men over the age of 15. They had 80 men lined up and they were machine gunned to death. Uh, this, as I understand it, happened uh, before her eyes. So uh, imagine a daughter losing her father in such a dreadful incident. Her brother was able to escape from that particular circumstance and made his way to, uh, to a nearby building. But that building, even though he, he wasn't He wasn't targeted directly, but a rocket-propelled grenade was aimed at that building, and she saw that grenade land on that house, and her brother was killed. So when we talk about these sorts of horror stories, uh, people's lives torn to pieces, uh, the trauma that is being suffered – I must say, not only by adults, but the trauma that's being suffered by the children who are seeing these things happen in their childhood. Can you imagine a start to your life uh, by seeing these sorts of traumatic events? There was another story of a woman who arrived home and she had found a missile had hit her home while she was out. Uh, Inside the home was her husband and also uh, his other wife. So we're talking about a a, a Muslim family here where there were a, a husband and multiple wives. I think it was probably just two wives, but a husband and uh, his other wife killed in a missile attack. These sorts of things are a part of the regular storytelling of refugees who've had to flee the situations there in Syria. And these things are heart-wrenching. And for us uh, listening to these things from so far away, it seems like... That's just another world. Uh, for people in the Middle East, this is a reality. They are hearing these things. They are subject to these things on a daily basis.
1: Well, we do hear some stories in the media, of course. Uh, Miriam Ibrahim, uh, a story of a persecuted believer who uh, was imprisoned is now set free. Uh, we've heard other stories of uh, you know persecuted believers who, I mean, in North Korea and you know other other African nations, all through the Middle East. It really is something that I think the church in the West. Is now being a lot more educated, and uh, I'm—I I'm, know certainly for myself, I only knew a little bit about this years ago. Uh, and now, when you when you see the Ministry of Open Doors, uh, other great Christian mission organisations who are helping persecuted believers, it certainly uh, highlighted the plight of persecuted believers, and I think. Uh just seeing the look in your face today, Neil, has inspired me uh, to make sure I uh, do regularly pray for persecuted believers. And I know one of the Bible verses they, they use is from Revelation about strengthening those that remain. Uh, would you say that's... Uh, one of the most important things that we need to pray for for these persecuted believers? It is absolutely
0: and when we talk about organisations and we mentioned Open Doors and there are a whole bunch of great agencies like Operation Mobilisation and uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, well the interesting thing that happens when you talk about mission organisations strengthening those who remain is very much a part of what they do when it comes to persecuted believers. Now The interesting way that these organisations have to operate in a circumstance where there is a persecuted church, it's a little bit like a James Bond movie, MI6, undercover operatives. They are a well-oiled machine. They know the culture. They know the risks. They know that lives are at risk when the wrong thing is said, the wrong thing is done. And these organizations, they have to operate uh, almost like these undercover operatives to be able to support the remnant that may be remaining, to be able to support those pastors who may actually be in the situation uh, as is in the case in Syria where pastors who are caring for something like a couple of thousand families and we're talking about maybe 10,000 people uh, in order to actually help to sustain those Christian believers and also to uh, help those who are really, really uh, under uh, difficult circumstances who may not be Christian yet but there is certainly a sense that uh, the love of Christ is being extended beyond uh, the church so there's this sustaining of the church the caring for the leaders, which is really, really important. Who cares for the leaders? Well, it's these organizations that do this main care for the uh, leaders. And then there's the idea of helping to uh, th- help those believers who are under their care understand that they are not abandoned and that there are brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, sometimes from the other side of the world, from a land down under, who are helping to maintain their uh, cause in the courts of the Lord, bringing their cause into uh, God's very presence and asking for him to protect them and to bring peace to where they
1: are. Well Neil, I just am so inspired uh, to hear the stories and I know you've got plenty more uh, to, to share but we do have to wrap it up and mate I just think you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you Matt. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. Order your flash drive with 20 of the best History Makers interviews now at historymakers.tv for just $19.95. All proceeds will help History Makers Radio and TV share the gospel all around the world. Order now at station sponsor, historymakers.tv. You'll hear interviews from Mark Burnett, producer of the Bible series and Survivor. Musicians like Paul Coleman, Mark Schultz and George McArdle from the Little River Band. Also Kate Brack's winner of MasterChef 2011, former Olympian Elka Whalen, and many more. Order now at historymakers.tv.